7.41. So while there are growing concerns that North Korea is dragging its feet over denuclearization, the US will have another go at high-level talks this week, just days after Pyongyang threatened to reboot its nuke development unless Washington abandons its policy of maximum pressure. Throw the US midterms in the mix, and we have plenty to discuss. First with Mr Scott Snyder. Senior Fellow for Career Studies and Director of the Programme on US-Korea Policy at the Council on Foreign Relations. Also the author of South Korea at the Crossroads. Thank you for joining us. Glad to be here. And as we speak, we've got a huge amount of attention in the US media and perhaps global media on those midterm elections uh, with polls very shortly closing. Can you share your thoughts on how North Korea enters that whole equation? I mean, are people thinking about it at all in the U.S. right now, or is it all domestic stuff going on in their minds? I don't think North Korea is really playing as an issue in the midterms, but I do think it is an issue that will be affected by the midterms. Uh, and the the polling, um, the, the early polling results uh, seem to suggest that there's a high probability that uh, the Republicans will maintain control of the Senate but lose control of the House, which basically means that we're back into a divided government situation. Uh, And in that case, it's going to be very hard to imagine that there will be progress on any domestic issues. Therefore, President Trump would be um, uh, induced to spend more time focusing on foreign policy if he wants to show tangible accomplishments. Uh, and that is where North Korea comes in uh, as an issue where he has had some uh, initial success that he probably will want to try to hold on to. Uh, and so I do think that there is a possibility that North Korea comes out uh, as uh, an issue that President Trump uh, is motivated to pursue additional progress on. Uh, and then the question is going to be, what does that mean in terms of uh, the U.S.-North Korea interaction going forward? Yeah, there was this suggestion that President Trump wanted to get the midterms done before um, entertaining the possibility of a second summit with Chairman Kim Jong-un. And straight off the bat of these elections, we have got this planned high-level meeting between Mike Pompeo and Kim Young-chol. What do you expect to come out of those talks? Uh, In New York, on American soil, we've not got uh, Pompeo traveling to Pyongyang again this time. Um. In New York, um, we have to see whether or not uh, a change in venue uh, presages uh, a change in result or not. Uh, you know, so far, we're still trying to get a process started with the North Koreans uh, that would involve working-level talks to really hammer out uh, how a denuclearization process would move forward alongside a tension reduction uh, and peace process. Uh, and as you noted, I mean, there's um, a lot of uh, noise from the North Koreans about the absence of trust, about the persistence of sanctions. Uh, there's no real prospect that the Trump administration is going to back away from implementation of sanctions uh, without uh, some steps on denuclearization. And so... Uh, from the outside, it looks like there's a real impasse, uh, and the question is whether or not uh, uh, Pompeo and uh, Kim Young-chul can uh, generate some kind of opportunity uh, in the context of that apparent impasse. How, how much stock do you place in North Korea's threat last week to reboot nuclear development 
if the US doesn't offer some ground on sanctions? Um, it suggests to me that they are uh, trying to shape the environment for a negotiation process. So in that sense, it's a good thing. Uh, but uh, at the same time, uh, they're kind of going back to uh, their usual statements. Uh, and uh, thus far, those sorts of statements have uh, not produced tangible progress. Uh, in fact, it reinforces the gap uh, between the U.S. and North Korea on, on this set of issues. Uh, and so, I mean, we really do need to see uh, a set of talks at the working level to accompany summit diplomacy. Uh, I think that they're trying to use summit diplomacy as a way to um, uh, draw the North Koreans into a working level process. Uh, so basically, uh, a second Trump-Kim summit is a lure. Uh, and the question is whether or not uh, the lure is going to be attractive to get the North Koreans to bite. We also have last week South Korea and the U.S. signing a strategic guideline on combined defense after OPCON. So even after the future transferal of wartime operational control to Seoul, we would continue in theory to see a strong military relationship. We're not going to see the abandonment of U.S. troops on South Korean soil. That's what we're told. And actually, that's something you seem to advocate in your book, uh, a strong alliance as being a, the only viable strategic option for the foreseeable future for South Korea, to directly quote you. Can you elaborate on that in light of current trends? Yeah, I think that, uh, you know, there is a lot of dynamism uh, around in the security environment around the peninsula now with this uh, military agreement uh, coming out of Pyongyang uh, with South Korea pushing for OPCON transfer uh, and with the broader context in which uh, the U.S.-China rivalry seems to be uh, increasing in terms of uh, tensions in the region. Uh, and so, you know, my analysis of South Korea's strategic and defense needs is really focused on the fact that despite the fact that South Korea is the 12th largest economy in the world, they still live in a dangerous neighborhood uh, where in, in relative power terms, uh, they are surrounded by larger and more powerful neighbors. Uh, and so the rationale for the alliance with the United States as a protector of South Korea uh, still holds, uh, and there's actually not a, a, a rival or competitor that is willing to give the same sort of guarantees to South Korea that the United States has been willing to give. Scott Schneider, Senior Fellow for Career Studies and Director of the Programme on U.S.-Korea Policy at Council on Foreign Relations. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. Let's also cross to Dr. Bong Yong-shik, Research Fellow at Yonsei University Institute for North Korean Studies. Thank you for joining us. Sorry about that. To you, our listeners, we are just getting that line with Dr. Bong rebooted somewhat but uh, let me also invite you to get involved in the conversation as well pound a sharp 1013 for 51 per message if you want to have your say on any potential optimism about this thursday's meeting i've got to say for myself you know i i, I do believe dialogue is the right course of action don't get me wrong but i am very pessimistic about uh, the prospect of real change still with North Korea. I don't, don't think they've shown us nearly enough uh, in, in the last few months. Uh, I'm perhaps more optimistic about the possibility of, of things fundamentally shifting if uh, we see Chairman Kim Jong-un in Seoul or in the US. That would certainly look interesting. 
but we just don't have any indications that they meaningfully want to abandon their nuclear weapons at the moment. Dr. Bong, do we have you on the line now? Uh, yes. Thank yeah. you for taking the time today. Great to have you. Um, so North Korea up to its old tricks, threatening the US just before these talks. How do you view this week's meeting between Mike Pompeo and Kim Young-chul? We have to pay attention to the timing of this meeting between Kim Young-chul and Secretary Mike Pompeo, which is only two days after the midterm election uh, will be concluded, which is undergoing that right now. Meaning that uh, U.S. position in dealing with North Korean leadership regarding the denuclearization agendas is already set. It is not affected or swayed by the result of the midterm election, uh, which is uh, not expected uh, by North Korean uh, government. The tragic mistake by the North Korean government, I think, is to exaggerate the impact of the outcome of the midterm election on negotiating position of the Trump administration. Uh, the Kim Jong-un government um, expected that because of the desire of the Trump administration to you know, carry, win the midterm election on the 6th of November, uh, it could not really uh, be really tough and hardline uh, toward Pyongyang in carrying out the major agreements of the Singapore summit meeting uh, in June, you know, on June 12th. But there was a miscalculation because the elections are based upon local issues, not just the you know, national security agenda. Let's reflect a little bit on President Moon Jae-in's recent diplomacy. He's been making efforts trying to persuade other key players like Britain and France, considering they're both permanent members on that UN Security Council, to back sanctions relief. He seems to have failed with those efforts. Will, will that mean something to North Korea when, when they visibly see South Korea's president trying to advocate on their behalf, even if it's not been successful so far? Well, the main strategy of the uh, North Korean government has been interposing in the Moon Jae-in government of South Korea between itself and the rest of the world, uh, including the United States and Japan, who are extremely reluctant to you know, put uh, unconditional trust in North Korean leadership for denuclearization. And the Moon Jae-in government has been doing its own part uh, to you know, help you know, move the ball uh, of the denuclearization, uh, so in terms of uh, inducing North Korean leadership to walk in the direction of rapid industrialization instead of rapid development of, you know, intercontinental ballistic missile and nuclear warheads. But as well illustrated by a recent, you know, trip by President Moon Jae-in to European countries, uh, that European countries and the U.S. positions are very clear that. Uh, North Korea carrying out concrete and verifiable denuclearization uh, must be made prior to the rest of the world, uh, represented by the United Nations Security Council, to decide to ease the existing economic sanctions. So the utility of using the Moon Jae-in government of South Korea to realize its own agendas uh, has been on you know, diminishing return 
diminishing effect effectiveness for North Korean leadership. So uh, we might expect to see North Korean leadership increasingly critical of lack of concrete actions uh, by the South Korean government and eventually abandoning the strategy to use the Moon Jae-in government of South Korea uh, as its uh, kind of a uh, spokesperson. It would certainly look like progress, though, if if we did see North Korean leader Kim Jong-un on South Korean soil within this year. Now, President Moon Jae-in seems to be backtracking a little on that, saying so much of that depends on what happens with, with the U.S., uh, in other words, the great optimism that followed uh, President Moon's visit to Pyongyang in, in September, it, it, we go through this cycle. It's kind of like fading a little bit, and now we need it to be fed again, the optimism. What's your view on, on that? Can you actually ever see Kim Jong-un come to Seoul? Uh, we have to wait and see. Uh, I'm uh, with the people uh, who uh, would say that uh, Kim Jong-un is not likely to come to Seoul if uh, South Korean government and the U.S. government jointly will have made kind of offer that North Korean leadership cannot refuse. I may sound like the uh, the movie Godfather, Mm. but uh, Kim Jong-un's visit to Seoul is not predetermined or unconditional. Kim Jong-un is only coming to Seoul, in my personal opinion, when there is a big present uh, waiting for him. So the big present is, of course, easing economic sanctions to significant levels. And it is doubtful the Seoul and Washington will jointly agree upon that, unless North Korean government is going to make huge concessions on denuclearization. So as long as Kim Jong-un government remains unwilling to make huge concessions on denuclearization, the United States will not agree to ease economic sanctions, and thereby it is unlikely for uh, Chairman Kim Jong-un to come to uh, you know, visit Seoul uh, before the end of this calendar year, 2018. Kim Jong-un might be tempted to come to Seoul in order to divide South Korean society according to the ideological lines, and put additional pressure on Moon Jae-in government to you know, uh, ease economic sanctions uh, that South Korean government uh, has imposed upon North Korea unilaterally. But uh, that's not uh, helping. That's not helping North Korean government to you know, get the, uh, the biggest prize, trophy, which is uh, breaking the existing economic sanctions, especially United Nations Security Council resolutions. So I don't think it is uh, likely for Kim Jong-un to come to Seoul uh, only for the sake of, uh, of shaking the South Korean government. Dr. Bong, thank you very much as well for joining us today. You're welcome.